just let you know that uh, for those who might be visiting, uh, my name is Pastor Mark Herod, and I've shrunk. No, my name is Michael Bates, and I'm the student minister here. Our pastor's on uh, just a little week, a little taking off, a little time, much-needed rest. And I'm so thankful that I didn't know that apparatuses were going to be moved today because I was noticing last week the cross we had in front of here fits well with the six-foot-two person. But someone who's 5'9 and 5'10", I would be hid by the cross, which might be good for you guys not to see this face, but I was worried about, hey, everybody, y'all see me? But anyway, it works out that I'm here. It's a privilege to fill in uh, for Mark, and he asked me to continue our studies of our Who's You One campaign. Now, um, I entitled this, You Never Know, and you'll figure out why as we get through uh, the scriptures. So the first question I have is, what are you afraid of? Think about it. You know there's something that scares you, or you might have a phobia. Some of the top phobias I've put up here represented by pictures, and we'll go through them and see if you line up one of those. We got up here, we got a social far left corner of your thing. That's a social phobia. We got in the middle top, uh, fear of heights on the far right corner. That's actually fear of open spaces. Go down there, the lady in the elevator, fear of confined spaces. We got the fear of flying. Flip all the way over there where that storm is, fear of storms. We have someone, people have fear of snakes, fear of dogs. And I hate to say this, if you're the fear or phobia of needles, there's a bad time to have that fear doing all this stuff that's going on with all these shots and vaccinations you need. And then there's that one in the middle I say for last. It's fear of insects. Now, apparently, people have that, no matter what, there's different styles of phobia, some severe to little. Apparently, those, any type of phobia, don't appreciate when someone takes a picture from their phone of these six to eight foot praying menace they have at Bay's Mountain and send as a text to your wife, they don't appreciate it when they have that fear of insects, says Michael Bates and Sarah Bates. All right, so anyway, so, so there's some phobies out there. But let's change the question. We all know we have some type of fears. Let's go to what we've been talking about the past few weeks. What's some of the fears of sharing your faith, a.k.a. witnessing? What are some of your fears? Now look them up. Here are some of their top fears. Fear of rejection, right? Fear of losing a friend. When you start telling people about Jesus. Fear of offending people. There's fear of feeling inadequate. A fear that you just can't answer something. A fear what others will think of you. A fear of being seen as arrogant. A fear of personal doubt. And the fear of clumsy apologetics. And even the fear of being seen as intolerant. So let's change that question then. Let's get a little more defined. What is the best way to share your faith? Because Pastor Mark's already talked about some of those fears in the past sermons and messages. What is the best way to share your faith that I can say with an absolute emphatic yes? Wait, that don't add up, Michael. Yes. Yes to share your faith. There's different categories of how to share your faith. But I can't tell you the best way, but I can tell you the best categorical way to share your faith. We'll get there in just a second. So let's look at the categories. Some of the categories are just your personal testimony, right? I'm just telling my personal testimony of how I came to know Jesus. That's fine. That's one. Another one is a little bit more hmm, confrontational, so to say. It's called law and gospel presentation. Now, this one I taught the youth. Bear with me. It takes a few minutes. Uh, years ago, when uh, there were things going on in this world, we used to help out with the uh, 
storytelling, and we would pick up trash as a, as a ministry for the town of Jonesboro. We used to get paid for it. Then they said they went under, whatever. Then we did it for free for years, and we would be trash pickup. But on the last Sunday of the, of the weekend, when everybody was gone, at 5 o'clock when they start dismissing, I'm sorry, and we picked up all the trash, and all the trash was gone, then we were free. And so one of those times, I taught the youth this law and gospel presentation so we can have some fun with it and see how they interact with strangers that usually from the north, those who are coming down to see these type of things for their storytelling. Now, we gave it through a personal survey as, do you think you're a good person or are you a good person? So that's how we presented it. And we had youth go out in twos and threes with some adults standing by just in case. And sometimes we filmed it. We won't have time to go through all this stuff. And we do have some video of that. But uh, here's how it kind of went, the law and gospel presentation. So he went up to someone and says, hey, do you think you're a good person? Most people say yes. I'm going to go kind of fast, so speed up your hearing. So here we go. So we go, all right, so do you think you don't take a good person's test? Well, I sure will. Well, okay, here's how it goes. Do you think, um, how many lies have you told in your life? Oh, uh, a lie, yeah. So what do you call someone who tells a lot of lies? A uh, liar? Okay, um, have you ever stolen anything? It doesn't matter what the cost was. It doesn't matter how expensive it was. Just stolen something. Took something you meant to borrow, but you kept it forever. Uh, yeah. So what do you call someone who takes things? A uh, thief. That's right. Uh, have you always been obedient to your parents? Always said, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. Did the things that tell you to do exactly the time. They never rolled your eyes out or never got angry at them. And all those things you did, what, you was a perfect child? Uh, no. Well, that's one of the commandments that you don't notice we're going through. And that would mean you're not honoring your mother and father. Well, we've only gone through three of the commandments, and you're guilty of them all. So based on the, if God judged you by the Ten Commandments, do you think you would be found innocent or guilty? Now, that's where you got in a confrontation sometimes. Not in a bad one, fisticuffs or anything like that. But what happens was people don't like to say they're guilty. I don't like to be told I'm wrong either, told I'm wrong. But you work through it, and they say, no, but I've done some good things, so I don't think you'd find me guilty. But then that's when I had the youth come back and say, okay, but does that work in the court of law we have today? Can someone who's guilty of 3 to 10 to 15 offenses, and they've been found guilty, there's no doubt about it, they are guilty. They stand in front of the judge, and right before pronouncement of the judgment and the sentencing, that all of a sudden the perpetrator says, oh, but judge, wait a second. I helped old ladies across the street. I washed your car before we got here, and I bought some Girl Scout cookies. I help people. He's going to say, well, thank you so much for the car washing. I appreciate it. It was dirty. Uh, thanks for supporting the Girl Scout. And thanks for helping that old lady across the street. But it has nothing to do with your guilt. I must give you your punishment. Then, hopefully, they'll say, okay, I guess I would be found guilty. Then you ask them the question. So, do you think your sin gives you heaven? Or do you go to hell? According to God's judgment. And then there's some, probably some confrontation there. Like, oh, I don't know. Okay, I guess so. I guess I would go to hell. Then you go, the same God who is perfect in justice, perfect in judgment, is also perfect in mercy. Let me tell you about Jesus Christ. See, he sent his son to solve this problem. He sent his son to live the perfect life that you couldn't live. And he sent his son to die upon the cross for your sins. And those sins are forgiven past, present, and future. All you have to do is recognize who Jesus is. Proclaim him as Lord and Savior and put your trust in Jesus. Repent of your sins and follow him. Now, that's a presentation. That's one. Actually, believe it or not, we had, uh, this is years ago, so no one's here like that. Actually, I had a few parents 
just got a little upset with me, thought I was promoting that was the only way to present something and they don't like the confrontation because they like this other category. I just like to live my life and they will see that I'm a believer and they'll come and ask me about Jesus. That's another way, okay? That's another way. And then the fourth way is those who say, you know what? That's for the preachers and teachers. That's not my job. I can tell you, once again, with an emphatic, uh uh-oh, that is not the one we get to choose. With Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you're never to be silent about him. It's not for the preachers and teachers. That's for all saved to tell people about Jesus. Okay, so there's that. But I can tell you that those who live, who say, I'm going to live my life, all right, and so that's, okay, listen. Yes, we are to live our lives as a shining light for Jesus Christ. But think about this, that you're not going to say anything. You're going to wait till they come and talk to you. Think what we're saying about us. That's pretty unrealistic in thinking because we are saying that we are so righteous, that we are so good, and that we are so outstanding as humans that they see us floating as they walk or float across the ground with our aura of glow, and then they'll say, oh, What is your secret, Michael? Everything's perfect in your life. Please, what is your secret? Oh, it's Jesus. (laughs) Everything's perfect. Okay, that's, I would say that's a second close to don't do that. We are to live our lives, but there might be a conglomeration of all them put together. Let's go look at those. And we're going to look at God's truth. I think you cannot go wrong. You're going to err on one side. God's truth, God's word is the best way to go. Now, this is where we are today with Acts 8, 26 through 40. But before we go any further, oh, Michael, would you please just read the scripture? We got to do one more background thing. There's something I'm teaching the youth on our Sunday night's discipleship class called Hermeneutics 101. And there's three words I've been telling them over and over again. Every time you look at scripture, every time you open God's word, you've got to understand these three words. Context. Context, context, every time. What? That's what we need to do today. Before we read Acts 8, you've got to know what's going on. What is going on? We call that hermeneutics. So hermeneutics 101, let's look at the facts that leads up to Acts chapter 8. First of all, let's begin not with Genesis, which we could, but it'd take too long to get through here. Now, I know your time is important, but I understand i got to be realistic. So let's start with Jesus after the resurrection, and he's talking to the disciples. We see the first thing he says, hey, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the ends of the earth. Matthew 28, 19, 20, right? There it is. Then let's move forward to the next time Jesus talks to him, right before he ascends in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. Not if you feel like it, not if you want to, no. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Then what happens? They receive the Holy Spirit. Peter turns around and saves 3,000 people. Well, God saves 3,000 people with this message. Then what happens? We see the church is starting to grow by leaps and bounds, so much so They need to appoint deacons to give the apostles more time to preach instead of doing all kinds of service. 
So some of these names were Stephen, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon or Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas. And there's a few names if y'all want to pick some for your up ch- upcoming children you want to name them. Prochorus, was, that's a, what a great name that would be. And here's my son, Parmenas. All right, anyway, they might think you're Greek, I guess, or part of the Roman culture. But here we go. Acts chapter 6, verse 7, then says this. So the word of God spread. The disciples in Jerusalem increased greatly in number. And a large group of priests became obedient to the faith. Okay, then what happens? Well, we see that somehow during this time, Stephen not only is a deacon, now he's somehow moved on to pronouncing who Jesus is to the masses, to the religious, religious institution, because he's arrested. All right? And when he's arrested, he gets to give his big message in chapter 7. The message from the Old Testament on to, the, uh, to who Jesus was to them, and basically he tells them, you killed the Christ. And because of that, they stone him and kill him. Then we get a little intro to Saul, who's there watching the stoning of Stephen. And we see that he's going to continue to persecute the church. Then comes Philip. He's another deacon. Apparently now he's an evangelist because we see in Acts 21.8, I think it is. Uh, yes, 21.8, that he's actually called Philip the evangelist. So now, not only is he a deacon, he's out preaching God's word. And where is he now? Samaria, early on, chapter 8. So check this out. In seven chapters and a few verses, we've got the disciples and the apostles. Jerusalem, preaching. Judea, preaching. And now here's Philip in Samaria, following exactly what Jesus told them to do in Acts 1.8. So here we are. Let's pick up. They're in Samaria. Philip preaches. Bunch of people get saved or proclaim Jesus. Then just to make sure, think it is Peter, you know, Peter and John come to join Philip to make sure and check things out, and then they move on, okay? That could be another Bible study, but now we're moving on to where we are today. Acts 8, 26 through 40. Now we're ready to go. An angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, get up and go south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is the desert road. So he got up and went. I read just a little bit of verse 27. All right. One more historical hermeneutic type thing. When you're reading Scripture, especially Acts, you're going to see it's a narrative. Now, in these narratives... They're either going to be, or simultaneously, can be descriptive and prescriptive, okay? Descriptive means just describing, right? But there's sometimes things in there, it's also prescribed for us as today's church to mimic and model it. And that's what these, this chapter is. You're going to see it because it's repeated over and over by the apostles, by the disciples, over and over through the epistles. This is what we do. So we should adhere to what this is saying. So we should be like Philip, so to say. So God prompted Philip. He went, not knowing exactly the situation or anything about it. He just was obedient, left Samaria, and decided to travel to go there. 
So the first thing we would need to do, let's, let's just prescribe it, is we need to be listening to God. Listening for him to move us. That means we need to be in constant communication so we can also be obedient. Be listening and be obedient. Let's read the rest of verse 27. I'll pick it back up. So he got up and went. And there was an Ethiopian man, a eunuch, and high official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to worship in Jerusalem. Believe it or not, that one verse has eight big things when you look at. I mean, things that apply or also things you need to know to understand that. Here they are. I'll put them all up in a once. We'll go through them one at a time. One, we know that God is working on drawing the eunuch to Jesus Christ, his son. How do we know that? Well, Mark read last week in part of one of the scripture readings, in John 6, verse 44, No one can come to me, says Jesus, unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up in the last day. It is God who does the moving, and this eunuch is being moved by God. Okay? Two, the place, Ethiopia, is different than what we know today. It's basically everything south of Egypt. That could include the whole realm of Africa at this time. Third, he is a court official of Candace, the queen of Ethiopians. Now, the interesting thing about that, that's not her name. Hey, Candace, how you doing? Oh, I'm good. I'm doing good, Michael. Thank you for calling me by my name. No, there's a title like Pharaoh of Egypt. This is Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. That's just a little history for you. But here's something more interesting is there's a king. Well, who's the king? Well, they considered him to be like a childlike or son of the sun god. Okay, S-O-N of the S-U-N god. He did not need to be a part of the mundane administration of works. So they would hire, hire. They would appoint the queen. Who's the queen? The wife? No. The mother of this king. She is given the name, title, Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. Now you know what's going on. So he's a eunuch. He seems to be a Jewish proselyte, going by what we read in that verse, because he had come there to worship. But... There's a problem. Eunuchs, according to Deuteronomy 23:1, are forbidden from entering the temple, God's temple. Because a eunuch is seen as someone who has maimed the image of God and is associated with paganism. But, oh, don't you love those buts? Because Isaiah. 56, 1 through 8, tells of our future messianic promise. There's a new kingdom coming where the eunuch will not be cut off from the temple and God's worship. So here we go. The eunuch has traveled some 1,000 miles estimated to get there. How far did you travel today to get to worship? (laughs) Okay, so this eunuch is really wanting to worship God. He's really searching him. And we see it. Psalm 119.2 tells us, Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. And here we go. Let's continue. Oop, there we go. Verse 28. And he was sitting in his chariot on his way home, reading the prophet Isaiah aloud. Now, what's interesting about this? He's reading Isaiah. Okay, what's the big deal, Michael? Uh, they don't have Old Testament canon back then. Like in one book, like we got the Old Testament canon, the New Testament, the Bible. No, 
and it's, they've got scrolls. And these scrolls are not easy to get a hold of. History tells us only the rich and wealthy can have something like that done to get a copy, or they've got to be a part of some synagogue with the Jewish tradition to be able to get a scroll or two, maybe you know, a copy of them. And he's got Isaiah, which is thought to have two scrolls since it was so large. It was two volumes. Understand how large it is. Uh, when I was in seminary, I got to see a Luke in uh, scrolled form unrolled, and it was 30 feet long, just Luke. So you can imagine Isaiah. And here he is reading. Uh, he's got Isaiah reading it. Now, that's interesting, but let's continue. Verse 29 through 30. The Spirit told Philip, go and join the chariot. So when Philip ran up, heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you are reading? Okay, once again, Philip is sitting there or moving around, whatever he's doing. All of a sudden, he sees this caravan going on there, and this chariot's moving on. And all of a sudden, the Spirit says, go. Go to that right there. Go to that chariot. What does Philip do? He's listening, and he's obedient once again. He not only goes there, he runs to him. Now, what the interesting thing is we don't know because there's two ways the chariots could be moving. One is by horse. Two, by people. They're carrying it. So we don't know which one it is. But we know he's moving. And we know Philip doesn't waste time because he runs there, right? But look how easy his conversation was. Do you understand what you're reading? That's it. That's how simple the encounter was. He was just being obedient. Let's look at verse 31 through 34. And we'll recap that one. How can I say, he says, this is the eunuch, unless someone guides me? So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now, the scripture passage he was reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb is silent before its shearer, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who would describe his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, I ask you, who is this prophet saying this about? Himself or Someone else. Now think about this. Philip is just being obedient. He's hanging out. Good luck on the camera. Good job, man. I, I told him he should be aware. I'm not going to stand always right there. He's Philip's either sitting or hanging out over here somewhere. All of a sudden, the spirit says, hey, there's a caravan. Go to that person right there in that chariot. So Philip goes, will do. He's running. He's running. I got to catch up. Hey. Hey. I'm oh, sorry. Sorry. Hey, uh, so... Uh, <clears throat> oh, I hear you read. Hey, do you know what you're, do you understand what you're reading over there? <laughs> and the guy in the chair is going, uh, no, how can I? Hey, man, you want to, do you want to, come on up here and help me. So first of all, we got to be in shape to gossip. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but Philip ran and got there. And that's the craziest thing that he ran. Do you understand what you're reading? That's how simple it was. He caught up in there. Boop, blown mind. What is he reading? Amy read, in our passage today, the first six verses of that. I just completed seven and eight. There's 66 chapters in Isaiah. There's probably two volumes of the scrolls. He's in the second volume. And what are the odds that he's reading one of the few chapters in Isaiah that's specifically talking about Jesus Christ? At that time, Philip runs up. And ask him, do you understand what you're saying? Do you understand what you're reading? It's amazing. Remember, Philip had no idea that God was moving this person. Wasn't, he did, had no idea he was moving in this manner. He was just being 
obedient to God's moving. Philip had no idea that this one, see what I did there, the one campaign, okay, who's your one? That this one was interested in spiritual things. You guys don't know. They may be on the brink of just, somebody help me understand this. Somebody tell me about Jesus, but they don't know they need to talk about Jesus. But they're so close. He just, this person, this eunuch, just wanted something to understand, something greater. He just attended Jerusalem where he's not allowed to go into the temple. A thousand miles to worship something that he's not allowed to go into the temple of. He's seeking. But Philip had no idea. See, sometimes we don't know what's going on behind the scenes. Trust God. So does that sound like something that he's prescribed to us? Absolutely. Let's continue. 31 through 34, we just read that. And then we go to verse 35. Philip proceeded to tell him the good news about Jesus, beginning with that scripture. Man, Philip opened his mouth and told him about Jesus from that scripture on. Now, we know there's a lot said during that time. How do we know, Michael? Just read the next verse. As they were traveling down the road, they came to some water. The eunuch said, look, there's water. What keeps me from being baptized? Right then and there, you know, Philip was telling him, not just about that scripture, then about who Jesus was. We can conclude that he's telling about what Jesus did on the cross and about the resurrection, and that if you want to believe in him, that he is a son, that you have eternal life in him, that he was God's gift to us, that he will cleanse you of your sins, and you must believe and then be baptized. Not as part of salvation, but as identifying with Christ publicly. Because why would the eunuch even ask, well, hey, there's water. What keeps me from being baptized? Just keep that in mind. One more thing. Not one more thing. Another thing. Look how God is working. Let's go back to the very beginning. He's in Samaria. Then God told Philip to leave and go towards this place, Gaza. A desert road. Who knows what's going on there, right? Philip goes. Then... He sees this caravan, and then the spirit says, hey, go to that chariot. He didn't know he's a eunuch, but I just put it that way. He sees the eunuch. God says, go to him. He goes to him, and oh, just by happen chance, that eunuch is reading Isaiah 53, one of the few scriptures that talks about the Messiah, and who he, uh, what he's doing in this earth in the future. Uh, and then we got the eunuch says, ah, I don't know what's going on, because Philip says, do you understand what you're reading? He goes, no, nah, I need some help. Boom, Philip jumps in there with him. He's asked to come in. The Philip teaches him everything about Jesus in that scripture. And then, on the desert road, at that time, when he's done telling the good news, oh, there just happens to be some water on the desert road. And the eunuch shows his thrillness about who Jesus is. says, what keeps me from being saved? Now, for some of you guys, you look in your scriptures, you see verse 37 left out. That's because in the earlier text, that's not in there. Even though it's a true statement, uh, mine says, uh, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And you replied, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Okay, someone might have put that in line because we know that's the truth, what would need to be for being, uh, believing in Jesus Christ. But it wasn't in the earlier documents that we have, so it's not thrown in your actual scripture. But beside the point, he knows he needs to be saved, and he already believed because this is now what he's going to be baptized. Philip goes, no, nothing. So what happens in verse 38? So he ordered the chariot to stop, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, 
and baptized him. And when they came out of the water, okay, first of all, make sure you understand, I'm just promoting what the scriptures say. I'm not trying to make a, a holy war for other churches. But when you come out of the water, that means you've been immersed totally in the water coming out. It wasn't a sprinkling. But I digress. Let's keep on continuing. Go on. That he was baptized, right? Right then and there. And we see how quick. Oh, this thing stopped working again. Oh, I turned off back on. One, two, three. There we go. By Acts 8, look what the apostles and disciples have done. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. And you know who this guy is? This is the first recorded baptism of what we would call the category of the ends of the earth. Now, here's what's interesting. The ancient historian Irenaeus writes in his records that this eunuch becomes a missionary in Africa. The first missionary to Africa. And there are some, now it could be tradition, okay, but there are some Regions in Africa, the Christian groups claim that this eunuch was the founder of their church. Now, like I said, it could be tradition, but regardless, we see the Great Commission in Acts 1-8 being played out early on in the Christian church in the first eight chapters. So let's, so let's continue. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him any longer, but it went away on his rejoicing. Rejoicing in the joy of his salvation. And look what was recorded that he did. Proclaiming Jesus Christ even in Africa. And then we know that Peter, Peter, then Philip, what he did, he retired because he saved a few people. He joined a local church and just sat in the back row and said, ah, life is good. Oh, wait, that's not what it says. Verse 40, Philip appeared in, I think it's Azotus, I don't know. And he was traveling and preaching the gospel in all the towns. Not just one, everyone he came to, until he came to Caesarea. So let's prescribe that to us. We're not one and done. This campaign, who's you one, is just to get you sparked and focused on one person to really pray for. But we're not one and done people. That's not how it works. It's every day. Okay, every day. Now there's a movie um, I saw back, uh, World's Fair, Knoxville. It was with my dad. And one of the days we took off from that World's Fair, we went to go see a movie with some of his people, friends we were with. And it was a Steve Martin movie called Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid. Now, I think that was the funniest title I ever heard. I'm going to change that title and say this. Guys, dead men don't get saved. God is always at work. It is God who's doing the drawing of men to his son. We are instruments in God's kingdom. We are to be listening. We are to be aware of God's calling, prompting, movement in our lives. We are to be obedient, not just listening, but obedient in a faithful response. We do not know all the ins and outs of all the people who come across our paths. We do not know. Do not assume, do not ever assume, as I've done many times, that they are not interested in spiritual things. Just like this eunuch Philip had no idea they may be on the brink of salvation. So who is your one you've been praying for? Is it good enough just to pray? That's a good thing. But according to God's word, we are to, we're also told to tell and direct, teach and preach. We do not say, remember that, right? That's God's business. 
But God knows what he's doing. Look what happened to Philip. He had no idea. You are where he needs you to be at this time. He has you standing even at a line in the grocery store next to that one. He has you sitting next to that person or that one in a concert or at an event, at a play. He has you being that one neighbor. He has you being a friend of that one friend, of the other friend. He has you working with that one. He has not put you in those places just to be a model of Christianity or a model of truth, but a complete model in speaking and behavior. Remember, the Christian's life is never about one and done. So let's be faithful and obedient to our Lord, Savior, Jesus Christ. Would you bow with me? Father God, your, your message is clear. I love simple, upfront messages. There's no secret Gnostic hidden meetings. It's there. We are to be listening and to be obedient, sharing our faith. You give us different personalities, different aspects, different characteristics, how we can reach those that others people can't reach. We are exactly where you want us to be. I pray that we'll be faithful. And as we're sitting or standing in our seats soon, that we'll make appropriate decisions. The gospel is even presented in the intro about the law and the gospel that we need you to save us from our sins, save us from the judgment. So if someone here has heard that and that sparked them, help them come to you tonight or today, this morning. And Father, for all the others, if there's something that we need to be more diligent about, more, maybe more about speaking truth to others instead of just trying to live it, take that fear from us. May we make appropriate decisions. You'd be pleased with our decisions we make, whether in our seats now or on the altar in just a second. May you be blessed. In Jesus Christ's name, amen.